Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right, everybody. I hope you are ready to dive in today because I'm ready to unpack God's word. Um, would love it, love it as we're just unpacking today, as we're just pressing into God's word together. If you have any verses that stand out to you, uh, any questions that you're seeing as we're unpacking this chapter, be sure to just drop it right in the chat. Uh, I'm going to do my best to try and like keep my eyes on three spaces, notes, Bible, you guys chat, you know, but, uh, no, I would love to hear from you guys kind of just what God is saying to you, um, and again, what's standing out to you, questions about a chapter like this. Again, we're going to be unpacking just one of the more difficult chapters of the Bible. Uh, but God's word is God's word. And what I love is that even inside of the Bible, even inside of this book that's ancient, yet so applicable to today, that the Lord doesn't really hold back from pointing out mistakes, that God doesn't uh, hold back from just uh, letting history be written. And what I love about God, and it's such like a lesson to character as I was kind of like soaking in this last night, I was uh, sitting on my back deck at like 830 at night, just kind of going through the notes, praying through the soap today. And I love how God just uh, lets the chips fall where they may and says, this is just reality. This is truth, but I'm in the middle of it. Whether it be mess, whether it be victory, whether it be loss, failure, right? That Jesus stands in the dead center of it. And that we, thousands of years later, can pull from points of history like this and some difficult chapters like this. But at the same time, God is still good. Amen. So I'm I'm so excited to dive in with all of you today. So as we're all logging on, getting in one more time, we are reading from uh, Judges chapter 19 today. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And I would love, love, love just to hear what God is saying to all of you, verses that are standing out to you, and any questions you may have about the text. So be sure to drop it inside of the chat so we could hear from you guys. And all right, let's pray and let's get into this thing. So Holy Spirit, I just pray you come meet us here this morning that you would be what Ephesians says of you in uh, chapter one, where it says you are the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So I just pray you would give us revelation today, uh, revelation of Jesus inside of the word and wisdom on how to live from it. Because we know wisdom is knowledge rightly applied and foolishness is knowledge wrongly applied. So Lord, I just pray you would give us wisdom today, how to apply the knowledge of your text and your word. And God, I just pray that you would write this text on our heart so that we would know and look to you in every season of life, whether we're doing well, not so well, where we're on the mountain or in the valley, that God, we could look to you as our Savior and our Lord. And God, I just pray, even in that Lordship, Lord, show us what it looks like to follow the staff of our shepherd and look nowhere else. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. Judges chapter 19, starting in verse 1. 
It says, in those days when there was no king in Israel, a Levite staying in a remote part of the hill country of Ephraim acquired a woman from Bethlehem in Judah as his concubine. But she was unfaithful to him and left him for her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah. She was there for four months. <clears throat> then her husband got up and followed her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. She had his servant with or he had a servant with him and a pair of donkeys. So she, he brought him to her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. His father-in-law, the girl's father, detained him, and he stayed with him for three days. They ate, drank, and spent the nights there. On the fourth day, they got up early in the morning and prepared to go, but the girl's father said to his son-in-law, have something to eat to keep your, up your strength. Then you can go. So they sat down, the two of them ate and drank together. Then the girl's father said to the man, please agree to stay overnight and enjoy yourself. The man got up to go, but his father-in-law persuaded him, so he stayed and spent the night there again. He got up early in the morning on the fifth day to leave, but the girl's father said to him, please keep up your strength. So they waited until late afternoon, and the two of them ate. The man got up to go with his concubine and his servant. When his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, look, night is coming. Please spend the night. See, the day is almost over. Spend the night here. Enjoy yourself. Then you can get up early tomorrow for your journey and go home. But the man was unwilling to spend the night. He got up, departed, arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. This is uh, Jebus before Jerusalem became Jerusalem. The man uh, had his two saddled donkeys and his concubine with him. When they were near Jebus and the day was almost gone, the servant said to his master, please, why not let us stay at this Jebusite city and spend the night here? But his master replied to him, we will not stop at a foreign city where there are no Israelites. Let's move on to Gibeah. Verse 13, come on, he said. Let's try to reach one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. Uh, these, that's because they were Israelite cities. So they continued on their journey, and the sun set as they neared Gibeah in Benjamin. They stopped to go in and spend the night in Gibeah. The Levite went in and sat down in the city square, but no one took them into their home to spend the night. In the evening, an old man came in from his work in the field. He was from the hill country of Ephraim, but he was residing in Gibeah, where the people were Benjamites. When he looked up and saw the traveler in the city square, the old man asked, where are you going and where do you come from? He answered them, we're traveling from Bethlehem in Judah to the remote hill country in Ephraim, where I'm from. I went to Bethlehem in Judah, and now I'm going to the house of the Lord. No one has taken me into his home. Although there's straw and feed for the donkeys, and I have bread and wine for me, my concubine, and the servant with us, there is nothing we lack. Verse 20, welcome, said the old man. I'll take care of everything you need. Only don't spend the night in the square. So he brought them to his house and fed the donkeys. Then they washed their feet and ate and drank. While they were enjoying themselves, all of a sudden, wicked men of the city surrounded the house and beat on the door. They said to the old man who was the owner of the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. The owner of the house went out and said to them, please don't do this evil, my brothers. After all, this man has come into my house. Don't commit this horrible outrage. Here, let me bring out my virgin daughter and the man's concubine now. Abuse them and do whatever you want to them. But don't commit this outrageous thing against this man. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and took her outside. They raped her and abused her all night until morning. At daybreak, they let her go. 
Early that morning, the woman made her way back and it was getting light. She collapsed at the doorway of the man's house where her master was. When the master got up in the morning, opened the doors of the house and went out to leave on a journey, there was the woman, his concubine, collapsed near the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. Get up, he told her. Let's go. But there was no response. So the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. When he entered his house, he picked up a knife, took hold of his concubine, cut her into 12 pieces limb by limb, and then sent her throughout the territory of Israel. Everyone who saw it said nothing like this has ever happened or has been seen since the day of the Israelites. Come, uh, Israelites came out of the land of Egypt until now. Think it over, discuss it, and speak up. Wow, right? Wow, wow, wow. So kind of like a, a strange tide of events. Um, you know, this is one of the, again, one of those chapters that's like difficult to swallow, you know, but we're trying to see God in the middle of all of this. When I first read this chapter, I thought, what an oddly placed chapter in the middle of history in the book of Judges, right? A lot of the book of Judges is pointing out, let's say, uh, like the faults of Israel, you know, and some of the notes that I was making when I was going over this is the sin cycle that Israel had been dealing with through for 350 years post the death of Joshua, right? So we went through Exodus where Moses was bringing the people out of Egypt into the wilderness and the goal was the promised land. And uh, as we see them coming into the promised land, Moses dies, Joshua takes the reins. And I know we've unpacked together quite a few times what it looks like to come into the promised land, apprehend the land and promise that God has for us. But here we just see the sin cycle all the way back from the wilderness having its way inside of the uh, nation of Israel again, right? So the book of Judges really kind of starts coming uh, or bringing to light this cycle that the Israelites are stuck in. So I brought some, I got some phrases for you guys just to try and get it, try to get it good, get a preacher. So we see them dealing with a cycle of the rejection of the Lord, rebellion from the Lord, the retribution of the Lord repentance towards the Lord and then restitution by the Lord. So we have rejection, right? Where the people of God would reject God inside of their hearts and always know everything always starts inside of the heart, right? So the nation of Israel would start to reject God from the inside. And then from there, you would see rebellion. So rejection would always turn into rebellion. That's where rebellious acts start to come in. That's where, uh, you can see in this chapter, people that are doing right inside of their own eyes will dive into that part soon. After that, you see retribution of God, where God says, hey, there's consequences to your sin. And even today, church, there's consequences to our sin. The beautiful part is, though, that even though there's consequence or retribution, when we have repentance towards God, Jesus has covered everything under his blood. That the cross was the final say on our sin. The cross is the final say on our mistakes. That he said, even though you missed the mark, there's grace and mercy for everyone that calls on the name of Jesus. And then we see restitution by the Lord or restoration. So we have rejection from the heart, rebellion in our action, retribution of God trying to correct what we've done, repentance when we turn to him, and then restitution or restoration when God brings us back to him, right? So in this process of history, or the sin cycle that we have inside of the nation of Israel, right here, we're in that rebellious state right now. They are in a place where they're still trying to figure out like, you know, or yeah, in the rebellious state, they're in the place right now where rejection is still in their heart and being flowed inside of their lives. Uh, and we see that just in the actions of this chapter, because it gets kind of horrific. And this is why I said in the beginning, 
I love that the Bible just doesn't hold back. You know, it doesn't try and paint a picture of something that it's not. God is so secure in himself and who he is that he has no problem of the image just being seen. So I'm looking at this and I see how Israel has gone from conquest of the promised land to compromising, right? They compromised because they didn't uh, destroy the nations around them. They didn't drive the enemies out of the land. We heard that incredible message from Pastor Brennan recently of driving the enemies out of the land. And because they uh, compromised, it led to chaos, right? And we can see that in the context surrounding Judges 19. We see just a ton of chaos, right? Uh, Judges 17 talks about the family of Micah, and we see the idolatry of family happening. There's a family that says there's a rejection of the Lord inside of their heart. It turns into chapter 18, where it's idolatry of a tribe, right? The tribe of Dan has idolatry inside of them. To now Judges 19, where it's the beginning of a potential idolatry of a nation. And it starts to just drift in. And I love it just gives truth to Jesus's words that all sin, right? Leaven spreads throughout the whole bread. You know, when we have just the little tiny bit, the little bit of compromise, it starts to seep into every area of our life, which is why we want to the best of our ability under the power of the Holy Spirit to live pure unto God. So let's take a look as we're unpacking this chapter of this outrage inside of Benjamin, uh, verse one, in those days, there was no king in Israel. So it's just good to know that this chapter was written well after the fact, you know, we are in the monarchy when uh, this chapter is being written. So we have King Saul, we have King David, you know, some believe that Judges 19 was written by the prophet Samuel, but we're not 100% sure. Uh, but so much of it is showing us that this is after the fact that they are just writing the history as it is, right? Uh, it all of a sudden comes out with this Levite, this random Levite where there's not much to say about him and how his concubine uh, decides to leave him and go back to her father's house. And verse three points out, he got up, this is the Levite, uh, the husband, and followed her to speak kindly to her. And I had, <laughs> when I was reading this chapter, I said, you know, he was going to speak kindly to her, but he was not going to act kindly to her, right? So he went there to speak kindly, but didn't treat her kindly. Because once he got to her, and the pressure got on of an outside influence, the first thing he was doing was throwing her out into the public square so people could have her. And I thought that was such a testament to what happens when we talk but don't walk, right? This is when we don't have integrity inside of our uh, following and relationship with Christ, right? Uh, it started to remind me of what Francis of Assisi said. He said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Because we can speak kindly all day, but if we do not act kindly or have a relationship or a life that preaches the gospel of Jesus, then we're nothing more than a Levite that is going and saying, I'm going to speak kindly to my concubine to get her to come home, but I'm not going to treat her kindly in the middle of it, right? Uh, and I, I like what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 2. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, you are an epistle or an epistle is a letter, right? Written in our hearts. And church, I want to tell you today, we are the letters of Jesus. We are the epistles of Jesus to the earth. Wherever you go, you are a letter written by God to the people around you, whether it be your family, right? Your family circle, whether you find yourself at work, uh, you find yourself, I always say this at Wawa, because I'll tell you what, for some reason, people, we walk into Wawa and sometimes we just take off the Christian hat and just say, I am here for my coffee. 
my sizzly, my gas, and this is the most dangerous, reckless place to drive in inside of the world. And everybody said, amen. <laughs> I fear for my life when I pull into a Wawa parking lot. <laughs> um, but there's just something about it, right? But I, I had this uh, almost heart check recently because I was trying to get in and out. And I don't know about any of you, but I love this beautiful new feature that our debit and credit cards have. And it's called the tap, right? I can just take my debit card and go boop on the machine and walk out as fast as possible. I am in and out of, of a Wawa within 30 seconds. And I went in recently with someone and I almost as like uh, wearing it as a medal on my chest. I walked in, got my coffee, got to the you know self-checkout, did my tap and ran out the door. And the individual, they're a, a mentor of mine. And they said, hey, I love like how technology can get us in and out nowadays. You really found a way to save time. And I said, 100%, I love it. And he knows me. I'm all about efficiency. I'm like, I, I love it. That I can just get in and out. And he said, you know, <coughs> saving time is good when you go out to the store. But how about we save souls too? And I said, all right, buddy, like that, you don't have to do go for the low blows here. I'm just trying to get my coffee and go. <laughs> and uh, but it was such a good check. And as I was reading this chapter, it really uh, get, right, gave me the checkup from the neck up where it was, you want to know what? I'm a letter when I go into Wawa. And if you're so rushed to go in and out, I'm so quick to talk the talk, but not always walk the walk that wherever we go, we want to be these living epistles to Jesus. Every place we touch, we have to know that the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And I don't want to be a laborer that's not ready for the harvest that God has brought me to, right? And that's like a lot like this Levite. He could speak kindly, but he wasn't going to act kindly. He was going to talk, but he wasn't going to walk. And I know we see a church, we see a people that is so after to walk the walk for Jesus every single place that we go to, that where we lay our foot, when we go into a room, we're sent by God when we get there. And it goes on in this chapter. So he says, all right, I'm going to go and speak kindly to her. And he finds himself at his father-in-law's house. Now, I would love to be inside of the room to kind of see what these interactions were like, because back in this day, for your daughter to leave someone and come home and live with you uh, was not really like culturally acceptable in that time period. It was such a, almost like a disgrace on a household. And it would have been a mark against the father of like, how did you raise her? So for him, when this guy or his daughter's husband shows up, he had probably had this measure of embarrassment when this uh, man was showing up to his home. And I like I like the wording that the Bible used here is why I love the Christian Standard Bible in verse four. It says his father-in-law, the girl's father, detained him. And I kind of just laughed myself and I said, you know, how many people have been detained by their in-laws? And everybody said, Amen. If they're in the call, it wasn't you. Don't worry, just wink at me. <laughs> right. So uh uh I, I started reading this. I'm like, man, you know, it's just like an in-law to detain somebody. Isn't that just how it goes? <laughs> um but uh, uh, no, but we love you in-laws. You're amazing. Uh, but the, the father-in-law detains the son-in-law and says, hey, let me show you hospitality. Uh, hospitality was one of the core values and virtues of that day and both today inside of the Middle East, you know, where we kind of take certain values inside of our culture, whether it be kindness, uh, whether it be, let's say, direct, you know, some of the, one of the values probably inside of our American culture is to go ahead and accomplish, you know, accomplishment is probably a big value of ours. We want to try and conquer land, get things done. Uh, the value in this time period and both today was hospitality. How do we, let's say, love people well, welcome them into our home. We can see this marked all the way back from the book of Genesis up until now, you know, 
know, we see Abraham be hospitable to the angels that showed up to the tent that let him know he was going to have a son, right? We see hospitality marked throughout the Bible. And here it's no different. So the father-in-law shows hospitality to his son-in-law. And throughout this, right, there's days where he's just persuading him, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. We don't necessarily know the motive behind the why. You know, it could be, hey, I want to keep my daughter in the house, you know, or maybe my daughter shared some things that I don't necessarily like. I want to keep her close to me. But what we see is hospitality lived out nonetheless. And I want to tell you, hospitality, even today, is such a great tool and value to win people to Jesus. You know, share a couple like statistics with you. And I know some of us, uh, even in this call, living to the pot or uh, listening to the call that are on the podcast later, you know, so many of you serve on our guest experience team or a GX team. We highlighted you guys just this past Sunday. We're so happy for, uh, w- you know, with all of you. You're so amazing at just showing people Jesus. Uh, there's a statistic that says that people, when they step into a church, they make a decision about that church within the first seven minutes of being there. And guess what? Our service, uh, seven minutes in, you're still in worship. There's no preacher, (laughs) right? There's no salvation moment. Seven minutes is I've walked in, I've gotten my coffee, and the countdown might still be going on, right? So it shows the value of hospitality that is ingrained inside of the hearts of people. You know, I had a a get or we had a guest come into the church recently and just from experiencing our hospitality team and experiencing the love from the people inside of the church, they said, I'm coming back again and again and again. They didn't even hear a preacher yet, but they were amazed by the love that they got when they walked in the door. Right. Just like we said this past Sunday, from the street to the seat, we have hospitality or the love of Jesus just penetrating the hearts of people. And that's a value that we want to go ahead and live out as Christ followers, correct? So here we see that from the father-in-law. He is loving up his son-in-law. He's giving him food. He's giving him something to drink. He's like, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. But finally, the man says, I have to go home. <laughs> work needs to get that. Like, I have to get back to life. Vacations are fun, but I got to get back to work at some point, right? The man's unwilling to spend the night. And as he departs, he's arriving in a town called Jebus. So Jebus, kind of for you note takers, I'll give you some history. Jebus at this time was not yet Jerusalem. It would become Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 5 when David conquers Jebus and it becomes Jerusalem. It's called Jebus because the town was occupied by an Amorite tribe called the Jebusites. So uh, David, in, in all reality, never should have been the one to conquer Jebus. This is why it's so important to do what God tells us to do and drive out what he tells us to drive out. Because the people, that uh, uh, the Israelites that were taking over the promised land never apprehended that territory. So here it's still territory that is occupied by an enemy. So they get to this town and the Levite, the Levite is sitting there and he says, I don't want to stay in a city that's not occupied by Israelites, right? They have a, a notoriety. They have, uh, um, you know, they have an influence about them and we don't want to go ahead and stay in that town. Let's move on to Gibeah, right? Verse 12, let's move on to Gibeah. So he says to the servant, come on, let's try and reach one of these places. And verse 15, they stopped to go in and spend the night in Gibeah. The Levite went in and sat down in the city square, but no one took them into their home to spend the night. When this verse gets interjected into the middle of this chapter, know the weight of it, 
because these people, they had all of their own goods, right? It said that they had all their own supplies to live, but this the Israelite city, Gibeah or Rama, were Israelite cities. These were not cities that were occupied by you know Canaanites, one of the ites. These were supposed to be followers of Christ. These were supposed to be the chosen nation. Inside of the chosen nation, the value of hospitality was not there. That is huge when you really start reading it. Because again, in the Middle East, this is one of the big, big, big values. So virtue that was lived inside of the people was not there given to the Levites or their own people. So for them spending the night in the city square and not have anyone take them in is wild. To go ahead and sleep outside rather than just even get a bunk in someone's house. To get a bunk in someone's house was normal. If you were a traveler, you had all your own supplies, it was normal to bring someone into your home. So this just goes to show how far the people of God had drifted from the true north of the ways of God. So this is what happens when a nation gets their eyes off of the Lord and onto what is right in their own eyes. And you see one of the whys behind the chapter of uh, Judges 19, uh, and this is just some speculation that I thought was really interesting Uh just from, let's say, just some different theologians and scholars, was that since hospitality was such a huge value, and we see so much of it inside of Bethlehem, you see, Bethlehem was where King David came from. King David, and we would see the lineage of Jesus came from Bethlehem. So the author is marking Bethlehem as a place that still has the ways of God instilled inside of the people. But you get to Gibeah, where King Saul came from. You do not see the ways of God ingrained inside of the people. So when the nation of Israel cries out, give us a king like the nations around us to the prophet Samuel. Samuel says, God says, no. They said, cry out to God again, tell him to give us a king. And then the Lord says, get Samuel. This is the place that Samuel's coming from. When King, uh, excuse me, King Saul, this Saul has ingrained inside of his heart and his mind the ways of Gibeah rather than the ways of Bethlehem. And it's almost kind of like a way of, um, let's say, uh, delegitimizing the reign of Saul. And it's giving some of the context behind Saul's reign when he was in office, right? So Saul, while he, he God had purpose for Saul, but unfortunately Saul didn't live it out. And when we look at Saul's life, we can see, okay, he was missing some of the ways of God, the heart of God behind what he was doing. And this is where he was from, where the people had abandoned the ways, right? It goes on inside of that chapter, the old man that was working in the field sees the people and says, hey, <clears throat> why don't you come stay with me? You see the saving grace, right? Here's the guy, he's coming, it's kind of ironic too, uh, he's coming from the area uh, of uh, of working comes inside, see these people, sees these people, and says, "Come into my home." They say we're traveling. He's like, "All right, come on in. Spend the night with me. We're gonna wash your feet. We're gonna get you some drink." And then verse twenty-two, it says, "All of a sudden, wicked men of the city surrounded the house and beat on the door. They said to the old man who was the owner of the house, "Bring out the man who came in your house so we can have sex with him." I was in shock when this verse got dropped inside of this chapter. Because I thought, what, like, what turn of events do you have to get to of an Israelite city to live in such wickedness where you are mirroring Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, they actually call Judges 19, uh, the, uh, the Genesis 19 of Judges. 
because Genesis 19 is the chapter that talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And here we are in Judges 19, seeing a mirror of that, right? Remember when the angels went into Sodom and Gomorrah, they were staying at Lot's house. And here were the men beating on the door of Lot's house saying, send the men outside so we could do the same thing it says here in verse 22, so we can do wicked things to them. But, 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 but we kind of see the owner of the house give, let's say, give context, verbiage, or wording to the uh, heart posture of the people inside of the town and the people of that day. He says, don't do this evil. Don't do this horrible outrage, but let me bring out my virgin daughter and the man's concubine so you can do whatever you want to them. This is such a testimony that when we as Christ followers, the church, the people that are called to live holy are doing what is right inside of our own eyes, right? He says, whatever you think is best, do it. I want to let you know for us, we don't want to live in a state as Christ followers of people who want to put God first inside of their hearts, inside of their lives, to see God on the move in our families, in our cities, in our region, to do what's right in our own eyes is to say, I'm putting my sinful flesh above the ways of God. You see, this statement on its own is like that highlight statement of the chapter that speaks all of what this chapter is getting at. It was speaking to the spiritual state of Israel. And as I was reading this verse, doing what's right in your own eyes, all I could think was how important it is for us as Christ followers to guard our hearts, to guard our hearts with everything we have, to get the word of God so instilled and ingrained on the tablets of our hearts. So we're not living by ways that are right to us, but by ways that are pleasing to our creator. Because who are we as creation to look to our creator and say, this is what we want to do and this is what is right when he's told us otherwise, correct? You see, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, let who uh, he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And I, I was in a conversation with someone uh, about a year ago. And when I was reading this chapter, this, this whole memory just came back to me and we were just talking about the state of the church, you know, they're another pastor and we were just uh, talking about, you know, an organization that we were both in a uh, church organization that we we're both in. And he was just sharing with me constantly. He's like, man, you know, this organization, God's hand is all over it. I said, 100%, man, I absolutely agree with you. And they were going into, you know, we really need to make sure that we're kind of giving over certain things to this organization, you know, and it was like kind of minor things, but not minor things, right? Like on the pastoral end, it was like, hey, we need to give this organization a huge say inside of our church and this and that, this and that. And I said, hey, man, while I love the fellowship of saints, I love it when we can get together and go ahead and uh, let's say empower each other, encourage each other and go ahead and pick from and like, glean from each other. But to sit there and say, hey, uh, we need, let's say this large organization to run our church. I just couldn't get on board with it because there was such a disregard that we could fall at any time. And I said, you know, when there's not a fear of God in the fact that let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, I, I can't really, let's say, sell out to it. Because when we start saying, yeah, you want to know what that preacher fell, that person felt, this person's in a mess, that person's in a mess. And we look at everyone else and say, oh, you want to know what? It's they're, they're the ones falling. It could never be me. To me, that's such a dangerous place to stand in as Christ followers, because Paul said, let he who thinks he stands, the one who thinks they have it all together, the one who thinks they don't need other people, the one who says, hey, you want to know what? 
I don't, I don't need that inside of my life. That's the one that's soon going to fall. I always want to guard my heart with fear and reverence for God so that his ways are in my life and being expressed in my life. Because when a nation loses its sight of God, when a church loses its sight of God, you see this, this little piece of this chapter lived out doing what's right in your own eyes. And it goes on. We see what happens when people live in a ways that in a way that's right to them, but not right to God. The woman, very unfortunately, very, very unfortunately, was abused, thrown out not only by the man he was staying with, but also her own husband to be absolutely and horrifically abused by these group of men. And uh, I, I want to like speak to this topic with fear and reverence because I know Jesus, right? We're going to get, we're going to get to the hope part in just a second. Sometimes you got to go in the valley to get to the mountain down in this valley part in the old Testament, women weren't really worth anything. You know, they were seen more of objects. They were seen more as things of trade. Uh, it's how families would go ahead and marry so they could build together and build a nation, but they weren't seen as people. And it's a heartbreaking thing because we know the Bible says that they were made in the image of God, correct? When God pulled the rib out of Adam and made Eve, she was also made in the image of God. And it's heartbreaking. But this is why we have to keep reading our Bibles because they didn't stay this way, nor was it God's design and intent. Because when Jesus gets on the scene inside of the New Testament, he turns the tides of culture in such an incredible way. Because when he got on the scene, he gave acknowledgement to women that was astonishing, not only to women, his followers, but also the religious system of the day right? He is like the great liberator of women. I love the story when Jesus is on the scene, he's inside of someone's house eating dinner, the house of Mary and Martha, and Mary gets to his feet. He's crying at her feet. And the, uh, uh, the Pharisees of the day are looking in and they're like, who are you to one entertain a woman? And number two, she's a prostitute. What are you doing? <laughs> right. And he's looking at them and he's like, these are the people that I love. She's my creation. And all of a sudden, he gives legitimate worth to women. And I love the fact that Jesus brings freedom wherever he goes. Because right here, we see a horrible mark on history inside of the church, a horrible mark in, in history in general. But Jesus says, these marks, I'm not going to leave them unchecked. I'm going to come onto the scene and change the tides of culture. You see, this disgusting and horrific act that we see inside of this chapter right here, where this woman is abused all night, Jesus comes onto the scene and later on and says, we are not going to be treating people like this. They are not objects. They're not objects of trade. We want people to live free, correct? So this woman, she, she goes through what she goes through, unfortunately dies somewhere inside of the process. And this man, verse 28, her master right? When it says he was going to his father-in-law's house to speak kindly to her, suddenly is no longer speaking kindly to her, right? He looks at her, says, get up. That's not something to say to someone who went through the horrific things that she just went through. He gets the door, the door frame, the threshold, get up, let's go, come on. But there's no response. So many believe when there's no response, uh, many scholars say she was dead when she got there. So the man put her on her donkey, and uh, the point was to go to the temple to worship, right? That's what he was telling people what he was going to do. Uh, instead, he goes straight home. He goes home. He takes a knife. 
and he cuts her into 12 pieces and he sends it out to the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, the 12 nations of Israel. And when he sends it all throughout the territory, what he's doing is he's sending almost like a war letter. And in this war letter, he's saying, hey, guys, these people did this horrible thing to me. We now need to wage war against these people. It's funny how he could sleep soundly at night when his uh, concubine is getting abused at night. But on the aftermath, he wants revenge. I thought that was so insane. This man, <laughs> he again, you know, it's kind of a testament of love that he went, you know, after four months to go get her. But then suddenly when he's with her, he does not care about her anymore. And then now that she's gone, he all of a sudden cares again. You know, and this this almost like rang true in my spirit. Uh, aren't we people that we really only love things that we miss? You know, there's a, an old saying, uh, distance makes the heart grow fond, right? And I, all I can think is this selfish spirit that this man was under, that he loved his concubine when she was gone. And then again, she's gone and he wants vindication. And I, I read this and just thought, man, who are we to go ahead? <laughs> and when we lose the things that we quote unquote love, all of a sudden we want vindication. And I read this and of course it ri gets a rile out of the nation of Israel. Uh, uh, but the purpose of the sending was to shock and summon the people to start a war, you know, and something to note verse 28, 29, when he sends the pieces of the concubine of the 12 nations, the King Saul would do the same exact thing with an animal speaking to the heart posture of King Saul when he was in office. Right. And, uh, uh, I found this quote from, uh, Fedor Diorski help me. Cause I think I butchered that <laughs> it says, if God is dead, then everything is permitted. And I think it's safe to say for this Levite, for this man, that God was dead inside of his heart in the sense of God himself was not dead, but he was dead to God. And he was doing what is right inside of his own eyes. But what we know is we serve a living God, even in the midst of idolatry, even in the midst of our own selfishness, even in the midst of horror and terror, like Judges 19 brings to us, that Jesus is still alive. And you see, this man was using blood as a letter to go ahead and summon the people of Israel for his own selfish desires. I want you to know that you are a living letter from God bought by his blood, not for selfish desires, but for selfless desires to lay down our lives so that the lost can come to know Jesus. You see, Jesus is alive. Come on. And everybody said amen to that. Jesus is alive. But inside of here, we see a man that's dead to Christ, but we as the church need to live alive to Christ. And when we live alive to Christ, we're not doing right what's in our, uh, in our own eyes, but what's right to the Lord. And how can we know what's right to God without getting his word inside of us, having the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts? You know, there's an old saying, and I love to use this a lot. Because even in such an offendable culture, in such a culture and time that we live in, where we're such in a state of disarray nationwide, right? Nationwide, we're such a state of confusion and what's kind of uh, uh, perceived hopelessness that us as the church have to live with thick skin and a tender heart. The thick skin stops things from getting in, but the tender heart says, I'm here to love anyone I can encounter because Jesus is alive inside of my heart. And he wants a church that stands for life. 
He wants a church that will stand for his community. He wants a church that will stand for the hopeless. He wants a church that will stand for the voiceless. Because when a woman is voiceless like she was in Judges 19, Jesus is looking for a church to stand for them. And come on, I believe we have a church here. Come on, Fusion Church, whether you're here listening later on the podcast, you are the church to stand for the hopeless, the voiceless, the ones that are walking without any sort of purpose inside of their lives. You know, and uh, this is kind of like my role in youth and young adults, Pastor. I spend so much time, especially in the young adults area, where people walk around with no sense of purpose inside of their lives. They don't know what they want to do. They don't know what, you know, what they should do. What is God calling me to? And there's almost this lack of purpose and vision. And we know where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. But that's exactly why the Lord sends the letter of you, you, a letter from Christ into every area of influence that you can touch. And just like Pastor Brennan says all the time, you are the best pastor that your community, your street, your school system, on your car dealership, that Wawa that you're just trying to get in and get out has. Because Jesus is alive inside of your heart. And all he's waiting is for someone to say, I am willing to let the life that's inside of me touch the area that is around me. Come on. And everybody said, amen. Just to recap, inside of this chapter, Judges 19, we see everything from, <laughs> it's, it's a wild chapter. It's a roller coaster. We see a man chasing after a concubine that then goes into hospitality from his father-in-law, right? Detained by the father-in-law to find himself in a city that's supposed to be close to God, but turns out it's far from God to all the way from horrific acts to trying to get selfish vindication. And I want to let you know, in the middle of chapters like this, there's still a God that's trying to apprehend the hearts of man. And for us as the church, we just want to agree with the agenda of heaven, not the agenda of our own heart, right? Not the agenda that wants to get things done our way when we want it on the time frame that we want it and how we want it, right? We want to live by the agenda of our God and say, Jesus, as you're trying to apprehend hearts, we want to partner with you in apprehending those hearts too. Amen. All right, come on. Let's pray together. Let's believe. I want to believe for each and every one of you that today God's going to use you to influence and touch the heart of someone. So God, I thank you for each and every person that is here today listening to this podcast, that Lord, you would touch and apprehend our hearts. That God, as we are living our lives, as so many selfish motives try to rear their ugly head inside of our lives, because, you know, we have to check ourselves before you, before we check other people. God, I, for, I pray first, check the selfishness in our own hearts, because we don't want to read of people like this, where it's a Levite who is just living by his selfish motives, that we see towns like we do Gibeah that's living right inside of their own eyes without first checking us. So Lord, I just pray, show us how we're living what's right in our own eyes, but not right in yours. And God, as you're checking us, give us the boldness, the courage, and the grace to change the things that you want seen changed. And Lord, I just pray the life, the seed of life that you've deposited into every single one of us. God, that Ecclesiastes says that you planted eternity inside of the hearts of man. That God, that eternal seed that you've put inside of us will come alive today that you would create divine appointments for each and every one of us, that we would encounter people that where eternity would touch them and change their eternal address, that they would come to know you because of the life that you've put inside of us. So Lord, I just pray, put us in contact with people that need to hear the message of hope in life today. 
people like the woman we just read about that goes through horrific acts, that has no one to stand for her, that God, that you would put us in the gap to stand for broken, voiceless, hopeless people. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Thursday. Love you guys. Bye.